You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, April the 6th, in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and what we have been doing on Wednesdays is taking a look at Proverbs. We're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 7 today, and this is kind of important because this concludes the 10 addresses that Solomon had to his son. Now, the beginning of chapter 7 is very familiar to Proverbs chapter 1, where he says much the same, at least in the first few verses. And why are we looking at Proverbs? Well, Proverbs is all about wisdom. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is understanding God's ordering of the universe. God's ordering of the universe, what do you mean by that? Well, for example, in the scientific realm, there's how temperature works. For example, if you do cooking and you're way up in the air on a mountain, the time for cooking is different than if you're at sea level. And that had to be figured out. Uh, gravity is another example. There, there's certain ways that God orders the universe. But what the book of Proverbs is about is how God orders the universe in regard to our behavior, in regard to our works. Now, the first thing we learn from wisdom is that no works you do ever can save you. you. You can't do a sufficient good work to offset your sin. And, and so we believe, teach, and confess, as the Bible teaches, that the works that save us are those done by Jesus Christ in his sufferings, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, and also in his return to earth. So in Proverbs 7, this is the last address of the father to the son. It's 27 verses long. So let's go. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, when a father is talking to his child, son or daughter, what is he asking? Well, that they guard the words that the parents are telling them and treasure them in their hearts as commandments they are to follow. Why? Because instruction for children, the word used in the Hebrew is the word for discipline. Because a child is born as a sinner, and even when baptized, though they are now righteous in the sight of God, they continue to sin in the sight of God. They continue to sin 
because of their old Adam. And so they need discipline. They need to understand you don't want to do these things. So a lot of kids get in trouble because they are unaware of what the universe holds for them. For instance, you don't give a new bicycle to a three-year-old and let him run down the highway or down the street or even down your driveway into the street. No, you would know that that's not what should be done. He's not aware of cars coming, etc. And so you discipline him, train him how to ride the bicycle properly. Because, very, very important, it says, keep my commandments and live. You see, when we don't keep his commandments, our parents, we can hurt ourselves. And when we don't keep the commandments of God, we may not live eternally in heaven. Really, really important, the life of sanctification as well as the life of justification. It's not that doing the commandments saves you. It's just that when you know you are saved, when you have faith in Jesus Christ, you so love him that it hurts you when you don't obey his commandments. That's called repentance. And you're forgiven and therefore you live. Bind them on your fingers. What does that mean? Well, you know, every now and then somebody will put a string around their finger as a way of reminding them of something. And therefore, that's what this is talking about. And write them on the tablets of your heart. Now, when it says, keep my teaching as the apple of your eye, the original Greek really is, Keep my teaching as a pupil of your eye. But you see, the pupil is considered the center of the eye. If it's damaged, boy, you can become blind. And so what we do in translating sometimes, we'll take an idiom or a phrase that makes sense in Hebrew and then talk about the phrase that we would use in English that makes the same sense. So the idea of teaching as the apple of our eye means that that's something that we really look forward to doing. Verse 4, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. Now, what is that talking about? Well, Paul, I'm sorry, Solomon, because uh, Paul does the same, is really talking about our relationship to our wife, that your wife should be regarded as close as if she were your sister, and that you would call insight or understanding her, your intimate friend. What's an intimate friend? It's a relative. And so what Solomon is telling his son is there's something different with your wife 
than they would be with other women. They're to be regarded as your sister and call insight your relative. Therefore, why would you do that? Verse 5 tells you, because then when you regard your wife as your sister, that closer relationship, it will keep you from the forbidden woman, from the harlot with her smooth words. Now, the original Greek says, to keep you from the woman who is a stranger to you, from the foreigner with her smooth words. Now, she's a stranger because she doesn't belong with you in any kind of sexual activity. And she's a foreigner because unlike your wife, she's not your sister. She's not a close relative. She really tries to get you on her side with her smooth words. Now Solomon gives an example by looking out of his window. That's right. Verse 6. At the window of my house, I have looked through my lattice. Now, windows didn't have glass in Solomon's day, but they had a curtain uh, to keep out the bugs, etc. But you could still see through it. And so he's looking throughout through his window, and he sees among the gullible. Now, it says, I see a, about someone who is simple. So he's looking at a young man who is gullible. I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. So this is really a problem when you don't have God's wisdom. You really lack common sense. I mean, just go to prison and you'll see many people. I was seeing a YouTube yesterday with a prison that has 4,000 prisoners. I believe it was in Arizona. It's the only prison that they were able to put up from construction for just about $100,000 because these people live in tents. That's right. There's so many prisoners in each tent, and there's no air conditioning. It gets up to 140 degrees. And so these are people who lack common sense. You may think that you can steal a car and enjoy yourself, but you lack the sense that if you get caught, guess what? You're going to be in trouble. And so Solomon is looking at this youth through his window, and he says in verse 8, he's passing along the street near her corner. Another way of translating that, he's crossing the street to get to her corner, walking the road to her house. Now, here in St. Louis, there's definitely a red light district where when you drive there, there are women on corners plying their trade, trying to 
entice you to take them and pay for them, etc. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a harlot, wily of heart. And this occurs, according in verse 9, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. That word for darkness means gloom and is the darkest part of the night. It could occur even in the daytime because when you go to the house of such a woman, you are entering into darkness. Not realistic darkness, but the darkness from a spiritual point of view. And the woman meets you. She's dressed as a harlot. And she's wily of heart. Now, the word wily, W-I-L-Y, really means that she is having ulterior motive. Ulterior motives means a person says one thing, but they have a motive in saying it because they're trying to entice you. Solomon is trying to teach his son to be wary. And so he explains a little bit about this woman. She is loud and wayward, which means she's rebellious. Her feet do not stay at home. She's now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner, she lies in wait. Now, that phrase, lies in wait, she kind of prowls around to ambush other men. And what does she do? Verse 13, she grabs him and kisses him, and with bold face, she says to him, now, that idea of bold face means she's lying. You know, a lot of times when people lie to you, they do it boldly. They really pretend that it's true. Now, what is a lie she is saying to entice the man to come with her? Verse 14, I had to offer sacrifices today. I have paid my vows. So now I come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. Notice what she does. The term for sacrifice is friendship sacrifices. Remember, in the Old Testament, ceremonial laws included all kinds of sacrifices to do whenever you sinned. And if you broke a friendship, then you would offer a sacrifice as a way of repentance. And she has to pay for her vows. Now, what she doesn't tell is what Deuteronomy 23 verse 19 says. The Torah, that means the laws from Moses, forbid a harlot sacrifice and, and therefore they cannot do any kind of sacrifice if they continue with their harlotry. It's forbidden by the priest to receive anything from a harlot. 
as a sacrifice for her sins. And so, you know what she's doing with the young man? She's making it a religious point of view. We hear this all the time in the United States. Uh, two people are fooling around and they are not married. And they'll say, but we love each other. So who can stop us from loving each other? The, the only problem is that the idea of love is not the biblical view of love. The biblical view of love, like between a husband and a wife, is one in which there's loyalty also to God. Whereas the love that people have in fooling around before marriage, that's called a, a love that really is erotic. They're doing things to satisfy their carnal pleasures. They say it's love because they enjoy it. The word love is, well, I really like doing this. And since we like doing it, you can't judge us to say that we are wrong. So what does she say? Verse 16, I have spread my couch with bedspreads, colored cloths from Egyptian linen. Now, what's interesting about this furniture is this is the same furniture used in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 6, for a proper marriage bedroom. So not only is she saying, well, I, I need your money to help pay my sacrifice, but the bedroom is laid out in such a way as though they are married when they are not. And then in verse 17, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, alloys, and cinnamon. Now, those particular ointments were not only part of the Garden of Eden, but they're also in Psalm 45, verse 9, the ointments used in a royal wedding. And you'll recall some of them were used to bury Jesus when he was put in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. See, she's trying to make everything appear to be legal and moral, when in reality, these are all against God's ordering of the universe. So she says, come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. In other words, let us enjoy ourselves all night. Now, the word love there is really important because it's not the normal word for love that God uses in a marriage. It's found in Hosea chapter 9, verse 10. And the word refers to idol, idol love, love to an idol. And that, of course, is what they are doing when they are fooling around outside of marriage. That is an act of idolatry. 
because they're doing it only to fulfill the lusts of their flesh. Now, some people will wonder, I don't know if I'll come to her house. What if she's married? So verse 19, my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will return home. Took a bag of money, and that's why she needs money. Not really because she's going to pay for a sacrifice, but just because she wants money. So that's her whole goal in enticing this young man is to take from him his money. And verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. And with her smooth talk, she compels him. A way of looking at that is by her smooth talk, she seduces him and entices him to sin. Now Solomon's watching this in verse 22. All at once, he follows her. And then Solomon uses three animals to show what's going to happen to him. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, this young man does not know that will cost him his life. So, Solomon compares him to a steer who's about to be slaughtered or as a deer who is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver or as a bird rushes into a snare and does not know that will cost him his life. I mean, this is really true in fishing too. People will put down nets and they will get caught in the nets and they're in trouble. Verse 24. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. I was watching on YouTube. They were talking about the various animals and plants that are at the bottom of the ocean. And there's this one plant, and its leaves are very enticing. But when a small fish comes near it, within a tenth of a second, the plant opens up and swallows the fish. This is very interesting. That, just like the young man, enters into the doorway of the harlot, guess what? He is swallowed by hell itself. Verse 24. The sons are told, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways, 
do not stray into her pathways. Earlier in Proverbs, there are two paths. The path of God, which is the path of Jesus Christ, is a narrow path in contrast to the broad path of the devil that many people like following. And we have many people in the United States who, because of evolution, no longer believe in the ethics of the Bible. And therefore, if they look at evolution, well, survival of the strong is really what works. And that leads to the killing of babies in the womb. It leads to marriage between people of the same gender because we love each other as though that love is what God has ordered as the way of the universe. No, that's the way of the devil. So, Solomon kind of ends, For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Yes, there's no doubt that harlots will work with five or six men every night. And you can only imagine after a year, she has a mighty throng, which means countless men. And finally, verse 27, this is Solomon to his son. Her house is the way to Sheol, which is hell, going down to the chambers of death. And the word for chamber is actually a Hebrew word referring to the bedroom of a married couple. But her bedroom is a chamber of death. So this is... Solomon's 10th address to his son. And beginning with chapter 8, he talks a lot more about wisdom. Well, on tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Wes Reimnitz, we're going to give you some really good news about what has happened overseas in connection to Christians who were arrested because they were telling what the Bible has to say. That's on tomorrow's Long Gospel. Till then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.